as you journey through this human experience, it is important to remember that you are not separate from the universe, but rather an integral part of it. You are an infinite, eternal being of consciousness, and your purpose here is to expand and evolve. By embracing the present moment and allowing yourself to fully experience the depths of your emotions, you open yourself up to the beauty and magic of this existence. Trust in the divine wisdom that flows through you and allow it to guide you on your path towards enlightenment. Remember that all is one and that the universe is always conspiring in your favor. Surrender to the flow of life and trust that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. And that begins with you listening to this episode of Ding Dong Darkness Time. I'm Allison Dixon. How was that, guys? Was that good, Chris? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm on another path of enlightenment and I'm playing of existence right now. So I didn't catch all that. So I have to be very upfront about what I just read. I did not write it. A, a chat AI did. Uh, and I told it to give me an inspirational paragraph as Teal Swan would Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I thought that was an actual quote of hers or like from a video <laughs> excerpt. I just thought you wrote it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was like starting to write stuff and I was like, I kind of hate myself for even writing this. So wait, are we going to be talking about AI cults? Is that what we're here for? No, actually, maybe later. <laughs> but uh, but for this episode, um, you might already recognize one voice I have with me, my best good pal, Chris from the 80s High Podcast to come on and talk with me about this topic. We're back in the school of cults. If if it's not clear enough already, we are venturing into another realm, as oh, it yes. were. So, uh, so we decided to bring Chris along for the ride, but also uh, you probably heard another voice there. And that is of my good friend, Beverly Banbury. I've known her for a number of years, uh, namely thanks to our numerous mutual friends in the book world. Uh, Beverly is actually a book publicist doing the hard and largely thankless work of helping a introverted and awkward demographic and their literary wares look good. <laughs> so I know how invaluable my publicist was to me during my launch of the other Mrs. Miller. So huge props to you, Beverly, for handling people like me. Uh, Thank you. Yes. I kind of straddle, I straddle the creative world and the business world. I kind of do fall in the middle myself. And that's actually turns out is really a cool skill when working with uh, creative folks. <laughs> yes. Yes. We kind of need management. <laughs> I think, you know, we're a little wayward, you know, nerds that don't really know what to do with ourselves half the time. So, um, yeah, very, very appreciative of that. But in addition to all that, um, you're the one that introduced me to the documentary that solidified my determination to do this episode. When you started watching The Deep End, which is on Hulu. In the United States, it is on um, Disney Plus as well. And it is on um, Google in Canada. Sorry, Hulu does not exist in Canada. So I wanted to shout out my Canucks. That's right. She's up in Canada, y'all. We, <laughs> uh, we have some good international flavor here today. <laughs> but yeah, you were, I remember you were telling me you were watching this and you were kind of live tweeting it at me a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. I got to watch this thing. Um, and Chris, you had mentioned Teal Swan uh, to me. I think when we first started talking about doing a cults series, and I think you mentioned her uh, in the realm of like the social media cults or the modern day cults. Yeah. I'd listened to a three-part episode on Sinisterhood podcast and they had talked about Teal Swan and this documentary and her upbringing and all that stuff. And so knowing that 
you're doing a season about cults. I was like, wow, this kind of fits, doesn't fit. Is it, isn't it? Like there was just a lot of interesting questions and watching the documentary and then just all this other source material, your mind just explodes a thousandfold. It's fascinating and it's terrifying and it's it's all the things I'm sure we're going to talk about. It stressed me out watching the documentary a second time. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I need to do stress relief now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And when I watched, when I watched it a few months ago, um, I was basically cussing at the TV. My husband was sitting there and I was just getting more and more pissed off as I was watching it, pissed off at her in general, like her overall nerve, just there's something about it. And we're going to definitely break all that down as we get into this. This is going to be optimistically a (laughs) two-part series. So we'll see if more needs to be added, but for right now, we're, we're going to try to Uh, take our time with this so that we can really dive in um, and give as much detail and background as we can. And as to why we feel that this is an important topic, because as we talked about cults in the past episodes, or I've talked about them in, in various, you know, short and long episodes, is that a lot of the cults that I talked about are dead and gone. They don't really exist anymore in any form, or there's maybe tiny little offshoots left, but they're not really active like they used to be because a lot of the times their leader died or killed themselves or killed the whole cult or whatever. So Teal is unique in that she's still very much at large. She's alive and well and growing more and more by the day. Her YouTube channel now has 1.5 million subscribers when I watched the deep end a couple months back, it was one point three. Million. Yeah, yeah, around a million. When, yeah. yeah, when they recorded it, it was a million. Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that coverage of her that started around 2017 or thereabouts, she was at about a half a million subscribers. And it has just taken off like wildfire. So this is an active situation. It is an active volcano, as it were. Uh, So I feel like this is a a good thing to talk about because I feel like it could be something that given all of our kind of human existential experience in this world being increasingly difficult to live in and deal with a lot of the circumstances, the crazy environment stuff, the crazy political stuff, the crazy, Mm -hmm. just everything stuff that seems to get thrown at us day after day that need for spiritual guidance and understanding and wholeness is, is very, I feel like it, a demand, like a very high demand for it. And people like Teal Swan are in the prime location in more ways than one for people to access that. Yeah. And we should, I I think we should say at the top, like it's very understandable why people seek her out Mm -hmm. and on the surface, Mm -hmm. I find her very inviting. Knowing what I know about her, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance just watching her videos and even like in the deep end, right? Where you're like, there is a likability, but we also know that it is paired with this immense danger. Oh, for Uh, sure. And that is, I think, where it becomes troublesome. And she goes beyond just being self-help, like a Tony Robbins, who's like, I'm going to tell you how to live a better life. And it gets into a much darker area where- Mm -hmm lives are literally at stake. And so that's where it becomes really insidious, but like it's on the surface, you, it is very easy to miss. Yes. Yes. Even as a skeptic. It it absolutely is. And one of the things that I noticed in watching um, the deep end, uh, which, which was a deep dive, no pun intended. So it was, it was really informative, but uh, as I noticed that when the camera 
is when the public facing camera is off, her personality changes like a switch. Oh, yeah. so, so it really, uh, what we see as the likable person quote, likable person on, on YouTube or whatever is absolutely a front as well. And I kind of always got that feeling anyway, just mm -hmm, a right. gut feeling. But I, once I watched the deep end, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I myself, you know, I'm very naturally, um, deeply averse to a lot of that whole, like, if it starts to look like a church and sound like a church, I'm out because of my, Dang. you know, my experience, experience and exposure growing up and, and going to Baptist churches and, you know, and mm. all that. And so I, um, become immediately dubious of people who dress themselves up as a, a light bringer, a pathfinder, someone who's meant to lead you, you know, to a better place. Like people like that just immediately put me on my guard. So I would rather suffer in misery alone than probably listen to someone <laughs> like this. This is, you know, my own filter that I view someone like Teal through or any of these spiritual gurus. That being said, I did practice Buddhism for a number of years. And I went to uh, a temple, a Buddhist temple, and there was a, a leader there who would lead us on our meditations. And he was from Tibet. Very, very nice, friendly, loving, kind man. There was nothing about him that screamed cult leader. You know, he was very rustic and very just cool, you know, um, and an old guy and, and uh, everybody who was at the temple was really friendly and really nice. And I think that was about as close as I got to like, sort of a spiritual group that I came to on my own when I was like in a place of need. I had young kids. I was a young adult. I was kind of lost in my own dealing with cutting the apron strings of my childhood and trying to find myself as one does in their twenties. Uh, but you know, that time ran out. I went on a few retreats. I got what I got out of it and I stopped going eventually. And you know, you know, that's, that's great. I actually had something sort of similar. It's not Buddhism, but uh, I was actually, well, I went to Catholic school. I left the church officially by the time I was eight because I saw the hypocritical bullshit already. Like I wanted to be an ultra server and they wouldn't let me because I was a girl. It was the eighties. I know it's different now, but, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's stupid. And so I was like, I ain't going to church anymore. And, and I did, and I didn't, but, uh, by the time I was 12, I discovered paganism. So I got on the Wicca train for a long, long, long time. And then more generic paganism. And yeah, so I was a part of some of those groups. And I think I was, when I was 17, 18, I think I might've been somewhat at risk for something like this. However, thanks to the ADHD, I also always say what's on my mind and, and I don't, you know what I mean? So I, I probably, I don't know. It's, I want to think I wouldn't, but you never know. You're not going to be a good little lamb falling in with the flock and, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and Chris, sure. I know you're, you're not nearly like in that realm of pondering the spiritual realm. Are you? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you do. Yeah. We didn't like growing up young age. We didn't go to church somewhere around middle school. My mom started going and we had to go with her and uh, it was Presbyterian. And, you know, I had to do some of the Sunday school occasionally. And I just, I found it all very unrelatable. And quite frankly, I just, I didn't find any of it believable. It's just kind of like, I don't, I don't understand what this is for and who's this for. Yeah. So I never really had that kind of connection. You know, what's interesting now that you ask that, what got me out of it about 12 years after I started was realizing I was looking for community. 
yeah, and connection mm-hmm. with other people, I realize I don't really believe any of this. I don't think anyone's seen any auras. This is BS, but yeah, I, I love these people and I'm lonely. Like I need a group. And that mm-hmm. it, I think actually really ties into why Teal can do what she does. This increasingly online world that we live in today. I mean, here we are sitting here, Ohio, Canada, Washington represent, you know, we're sitting thousands of miles apart talking online. And this is what people are doing all over the world, or they're watching YouTube videos, or they're on Instagram, or they're, you know, Facebook, or any of these other networks, just seeking that community, seeking that tribe of people that they can have like-mindedness with. And, you know, they, they don't go out anymore in the pandemic, I think only enhanced that. I think that's probably why Swan's growing has increased uh, the way that it has. And especially in a situation where we're dealing with like a pandemic that we don't understand the disease is novel. We don't get it. And it's the information is always changing. And so then we start to distrust everything that we're hearing. And then you have people actively working to make you distrust everything. So, you know, you're going to look for uh, someone who feels like they have all their shit figured out. I don't know what's going on. This lady seems to really know what's up. So, and, and just one thing to say about the connection piece, because uh, th- that's a great point, Beverly. And I think, you know, going back just to loop back to your question about spirituality, Allison, um, it's not something that I ever did feel like an exploration of spirituality, but I am interested about like larger things. But to me, it's more like, what's the universe like? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's yeah. more of a like, a practical scientific approach, which is often cast as being very sterile and uninteresting. And I'm like, how can you even say that with a straight face? It is a mutual friend of ours just posted a a photo from a set from a telescope of hundreds or thousands of galaxies in one photo. And I'm like, how on earth can this not be magical and amazing and and Mm -hmm. cool? Um, but for me, like getting the connection is, uh, has been mostly through nature. So to me, it's like, Mm -hmm. I, I find a connection to, a piece through being out in nature. I love hiking. I love doing all that kind of outdoor stuff. And so, you know, I think we all find a different kind of connection. Spirituality for some people is that thing. Organized religion is that thing, or just, you know, a community of people, no matter what I say. And I think we all agree with this. Anything that we're going to say during this episode is not an attack on those things. It's really on this individual and her approach and her massive manipulation Uh, that she uses really for her own glorification. As we talk about other, we talked about other cults, you know, sometimes even with the cult leaders, uh, they often start with decent intentions. Uh, Jim Jones is a prime Mm -hmm. example of this. Um, He he did not start out what he ended up as. He was a civil rights guy. No show of hands. Do I, I, this is a great point. Did Teal ever start with good intentions? Because that is a fantastic point. A wonderful question. And Chris, I don't think so. (laughs) No, I actually, I'm not sure because I mean, when she started, she didn't have a following. Yeah. Um, And in parentheses, I am not a doctor or a medical professional. This is not an official diagnosis, but she's so deeply narcissistic. (laughs) She needs like an endless, endless narcissist supply. And so it's hard to know hard to know has anything she's ever done been innocent because even when she was a kid when you see the childhood videos in the doc her eyes are dead dude there was not there was something very much not right about her from day one and her sounds like her parents knew that because they were trying to take anyway sorry i'm jumping ahead of myself no 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 you're (laughs) you're totally great and and that's a very good question because Mm -hmm. um uh, with teal I think you could go, it depends. I think in in some ways, I think she was, there's definitely a 
an inborn kind of wiring issue going on there. But at the same time, uh, as I'll talk about here, when we talk a little bit more about uh, gurus in general, is Mm -hmm. they seem and they are usually more benign when they start, even if they have a seed of narcissism in them, what makes that seed grow is the worship of the disciples that they attract. It's true. And some people like there's an, a person I shall not name who is a science fiction author who uh, a bunch of people <laughs> I know knew them before they were well-known. Mm-hmm. They became well-known and suddenly nasty, rude, macking on underage girls, like, Okay, so clearly it's a guy, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it was something where for some people, success and attention brings out what was probably latent in the first place. But yeah, so I mentioned off recording, but her Wikipedia page, if you went and searched her on Google and clicked on Wikipedia, you wouldn't see very much at all. It is honestly the most generic, whitewashed looking Wikipedia bio you'll probably ever see. They do say she's controversial which she is. Um, But, you know, they just talk about where she was born. And like, for instance, uh, the most useful tidbit of information I gleaned from Wikipedia was that Teal Swan was born Mary Teal Bosworth in Santa Fe, New Mexico in the year of 1984. She is described on the page as a spiritual influencer and author. And there are a lot of folks out there working that hustle right now, just like that. They could describe themselves just that way. And I would venture to say that most of them are perfectly harmless, maybe culturally appropriating douchebags that you would see in a coffee shop. But I want to read uh, Teal Swan's, uh, one of her author bios from one of her books, because it's a little more revealing about at least how she sees herself. Amazing. (laughs) Teal was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico in the year 1984. In the first years of her life, it became apparent that she had been born with extrasensory abilities. Among these abilities, she was born with clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience, the ability to manipulate electromagnetic fields, and the ability to communicate with thought forms. As she grew, unlike many children born with extrasensory abilities, her gifts did not go away. Her parents, who were both wilderness rangers, later accepted a job at the Wasatch Cache National Forest of Utah, not knowing at the time about the intensely religious climate of the location. Word of her abilities got out very quickly and were not only frowned upon, but feared by many in the religious community. It was because of Teal's extrasensory abilities that she was inducted as a child, unbeknownst to her parents, into a local cult by a family acquaintance and was ritualistically tortured for 13 years. She managed to escape from the cult when she was 19 years old. Since then, Teal has become a spiritual catalyst, both accepting and utilizing her abilities to remind people of the united, energetic nature of this universe and to teach people how to find bliss in the midst of even the most extreme circumstances. First, I would like to say if there are any authors listening, that's way too long, guys. That's way too long. I, I write author bios. That is literally one thing people pay me for. And that was awful. I was told three <laughs> sentences at most. Yeah. I could do. Like, it, if it's funny enough, maybe four or five. But yeah. So if we're adding complaints, um, she didn't mention that she's an Olympic skier. And she didn't mention that she's a Playboy model, which are also obviously things that she's done. I didn't know about the skiing. Yeah, she's also reincarnated Cleopatra. Yeah. Uh, well, aren't they all? <laughs> I know. We we also have to remember she's an Arcturian alien and a Greenpeace type organization to rid the world of lizard people. <laughs> now that might sound like a joke that an AI bot 
also created. Remember, I was going to say, Chris, did this go in chat GDP? I just want to make sure. In the words of another Chris, this is literally things that people have reported her saying. Wow. <laughs> that was yes. a really good impression, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It is. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, I will be honest, though. There was more biographical type truth in that jacket than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting a word of truth. And she actually, like, mm-hmm. like my parents, you know, wilderness rangers moved here, like, and that's such, such basic stuff, but I'm like, I can't even trust that she's going to say that correctly. I can't even trust that she's going to say her birth year correctly. Right. Part of her power. And I think part of what makes her so powerful is that she has this uncanny ability to embrace what sounds incredibly ridiculous about herself and adds that to her overall power and mystique. She'll say like about podcasts or documentaries, she's rebutted in videos She'll say, yeah, if this was my first introduction to me, I'd hate me too. You know, she, she'll say stuff like that. And then immediately is supposed to disarm you. You are immediately supposed to go, oh, she gets what people are saying about her. So, you know, she's self-aware. She's not blithely just saying this stuff. She is one of the least self-aware people that I am aware of. (laughs) Yes. One hundred percent. Just briefly for people who are not familiar with the Deep End documentary, it's actually amazing how much access Teal Swan gave them. They were there in her compound with her all the time, her relationships and everything. And it's because she thought, I think, yeah, it was years. And I think it's because she thought she was going to look good. Mm-hmm. And then when it came out and she's like, oh, they changed, you know, they manipulated it. No, 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 no. There are long takes. It's you talking and you can see, you can see it. She, she tells on herself. There, there are so many people out there that are talking about, oh, this documentary is very problematic about how they, you know, edit things and depict things. You're absolutely right. There are mm-hmm. too many long takes to really mm-hmm dissuade me from this idea that it's been manipulated in this way, but what it actually did. And I think she was counting on this to some extent as well, is that once this came out, she would have something to rebut. It would give her that persecution complex that cult Mm -hmm. leaders use to really harden their adherence even more. No news is bad news, right? Any coverage you get is good. good. That's a good point. It brought her to the next level, I would say, in some ways. Is that that ability to say, oh, look, the world's against me. And then you rally around her. It's the classic cult technique. And again, and we're going to be threading this throughout this particular episode because there's a constant debate as to whether this is a cult or not. And I firmly believe that it is. There are people though, that have studied her, that have followed her. In fact, the, the guy, the um, Jennings Brown, who was the podcaster of behind the gateway uh, through uh, the, uh, through gizmodo.com did this podcast called the gateway. And then that is what gave rise to the deep end. Um, So he was the one who was embedded with Swan's people for all that time. And yeah. And so he talked about, even like as he's given interviews and stuff. In fact, um, he was on an episode of Sounds Like a Cult, which is hosted by Amanda Montel, author of Cultish, mm-hmm. another book that Beverly introduced me to, by the way. She she got me on that book. Great, great book. I've, I've uh, relied on it quite a bit um, for my cult episodes. And he Jennings went on her show um, when they, they were talking about Teal Swan and talked about how even now he's still reluctant to use the cult 
word because mm-hmm. there was so much potential defamation litigation. And it's a loaded word. And, you know, we talked about that in the cults primer episode about how the word cult uh, can carry with it a lot of you know, yeah. stuff with it. So um, I, I am using it just for the simple fact of it's good shorthand, but I'm letting people know that it is in fact shorthand, but this does adhere to a lot of the specifics of the cult um, mentality. And that's the thing. The reality is I, I understand people's reticence. On the other hand, when you, I don't think it looks like your traditional cult. I think Allison, we've referred to it as cult 2.0. And I don't know where we got that from. If that was in, you know, um, cultish or something else, but it feels like the next kind of cult because of the internet, because of our connections to people around the world instantaneously. And when you start looking at these different metrics, indicators, um, practices, types, it, you know, I, I did the same thing and I'm like, check, check, check. Like I'm checking all these boxes. So like, I both understand why people are like, well, I'm not quite ready to say like full on cult, On the other hand, I'm like, but it's ticking all these boxes. So what is our reticence? There's an interesting spectrum from toxic group to cult. And and it's hard to know where that is. And I don't know if you want me to talk about the publisher thing yet. Yes, yes. Go ahead. and and, Uh, Okay. So because I, and I'm not going to name them. It's not hard for you to find out though. Uh, uh, But uh, I was um, briefly an unpaid worker. Through my own choice as a 30-something-year-old, so I was okay with it, uh, at, a, at a very well-known literary horror dark fiction publisher out of Toronto. They were world, worldwide well-respected in English-speaking you know, English countries, and, and like they were seen as very, very cool. They gave the best parties, which is how I met them. I was going to conventions, and I went to their awesome parties, and gosh, I had a great time. And, you know, it wasn't long before... I was part of the gossip sessions and I was hearing what the one particularly talkative person in this couple had to say about people. And I felt so special because I was being brought in mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, I actually asked to work with them because I was doing a marketing degree late in life, non-traditional student. And I was like, oh, dude, publisher, perfect. I'm just going to do a little bit of stuff for them. And uh, before long, it somehow became they were trying to separate me from my husband because oh. they didn't like me anymore and they liked him Whoa. and and it, it, yeah yeah it went from that like and and so when i was watching the deep end speaking of check 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 yeah i'm that's where i said there, there's a spectrum because i was a part of a group that's sort of like a mini a mini version of what was going on at teals and mm-hmm. uh i was in group so very briefly but can i keep my mouth shut as i said <laughs> and the thing is <laughs> i would just be like guys you know we need the books more than two months ahead of time if you want me to send it to publishers weekly like that was my sin is mm-hmm. saying stuff like that or, or or maybe standing up for somebody i thought they were being a little bit overly mean to or like mm, you think maybe we should pay the authors yeah well <laughs> and yeah and that well i'll tell you something Shut your I, mouth. <laughs> I had talked about these people here and there and no one cared no one cared yeah. because these people held the power in that part of the industry you're right though that's part of that spectrum of like group think group manipulation you're going to go along with the school you're going to go along with the school of thought you're going to um do what we say but then when it all falls apart when somebody stands up then the and the lines are drawn you have the enemies over here and you have the other side over here and i remember mm-hmm. when that fallout 
happened. I watched from, you know, a safe distance as I often do uh, with publishing drama and watching the sides, people take sides, taking the publisher side and then the authors and it was, and friendships were ruined and it was, it was bad. And uh, the company was whatever we'll, <laughs> we'll deal with them later, yeah. but yeah. It, it mm-hmm. is, it is one of those things though, that it's like, give it a little bit longer. If they'd had a little more power and a lot more influence mm-hmm. to wield. I mean, you see those little, like, it's almost like watching a tornado try to form and then dissolve. Yeah. But I'll tell you something though. They actually, they damaged a lot of people they and did. mostly young, mostly young women who were sexually harassed at length. They they considered it part of their company culture. They yeah. actually said upon oh. early meetings, if you're not okay with sexual harassment, you're not going to fit in here. And I just thought they were just joking. But uh, yeah, like, and they would bring in these young people and be like, oh, you're like our child. And, you know, we love you so much. And that, but then suddenly when they've done something that isn't the party line, now they're being pushed out and it, it's just so freaking toxic. And uh, so that's why, again, just to bring it back around to Teal Swan, that's kind of where I was just like, there's a spectrum. Like some of these things are cultish mm-hmm. to use the, to use the thing, like, yeah. like the, like the group shamings and all this sort of thing and trying to interfere in people's personal relationships well, and the, lo- the love bombing when you come in right a hundred percent and it turns out those awesome parties were probably paid for by royalties that should have been paid to authors just oh, shit. Oh, yeah. i mean of course right you know the money coming <laughs> wow. in the bank they just take it be an introvert it's the winning thing to do guys i wish i could but i'm not i know <laughs> dang it Dang it. We'll get you in our introvert cult. Don't worry. We're going to love bomb you. And then we're going to bring you in. And it's, it's fine. Well, It'll be good. I think I'm useful to have around because I can do this social stuff for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Put the, the public face. But I want to talk a little bit about the, a little more about the guru thing, because I do feel like a lot of people get drawn into this stuff. Everybody has their own trigger point for it. You know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but um, at some point I always notice it start to happen for people around their thirties, maybe into their forties, they start to feel like, you know, they're getting out of that crazy phase of life and they're trying to really figure it out. I'm going to mention yoga again, because I feel like yoga is it's a very healthy activity, but I've also seen it become a kind of a weird gateway. It depends on what kind of yoga you're doing. I will fully admit that there's a lot of different yoga out there. There are certain groups that tend to radicalize the the participants to a certain extent. The tradition of the guru, typically an Eastern thing, uh, particularly in Indian culture, it was eventually, you know, started to be transplanted over here. And, you know, we started to see the problematic nature of like uh, sexual abuse, exploitation, addiction to drugs and alcohol. A lot of these kind of um, gurus gone wrong. They start to become very power hungry as they add to the group and the group becomes more dependent on the guru for wisdom that feeds the guru and makes them feel a lot more infallible, a lot more powerful. And they call it guru syndrome. And really uh, everything tends to go well for a while until there's a certain tipping point. And and it's usually once they get a certain number of followers, once it grows to a certain point, reaches a kind of critical mass, then something seems to kind of switch on in the guru's brain. And it's usually because of all the adoration and all the worship that they're experiencing. And honestly, if you're drawn to being a guru, you're already going to have, I think, a, a sort of elevated sense of self. Um, that you feel that you can be that person for someone or for multiple someones. I think that takes a a certain amount of um, 
uh, balls, uh, for lack of a better word, to be able to think, even think that, like, do I think I could lead a group of people spiritually? Fuck no. And I'm pretty sure the three of us can agree that each of us would be like, no, nah, we, we don't want to have anything to do with that. You know? If I did, it would be more of a collective yeah. because I, I don't want to be over anyone. Like I want to be with, and I think that there you go. And that, that's a big difference. I am dreadfully terrified of accountability. So, mm, <laughs> so I'm like, exactly. if, if I have to be in charge, <laughs> then that tells me like, that means I have to fix the, you know, pay for the toilets to be fixed when they're broken. You have to get to a certain level where it's like they, uh, you know, can deny that accountability because they become that much more powerful. Allison, have you learned nothing from both this uh, example in the deep end and also uh, from Elizabeth Holmes? You're the, you're the one in charge. You have a director of operations who's your lover you're and right. you make them do all the hard work. And then when things go south, you just put it on them and you're like, oh, so I didn't really know anything. It was sunny. Oh, well, I have a director of operations, Blake. Would you like to speak up? Yeah, or Ken in, in the house right now. Yeah. Like, hey, babe. Um, <laughs> yeah, Blake and Blake and Matias in the dock are just like, Matias is the one. I'm like, what is wrong that's with you, true. dude? Yeah, she he had two, really. And that's the thing. Some with, with a narcissist, if there are not enablers, they do not grow the way that she did. So it, it's, again, it's this human, I think, condition. So many people really are wired for this sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's appealing about being attached to a guru for some people is when you think about how you felt as a child and you trusted everything your parents said, you just felt like you felt safe if you were lucky. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, the people that didn't have that until apparently did or did not, we'll, you know, we'll get to that in a second, but there is this feeling like you didn't have anything to worry about. You feel safe, you feel protected, you feel loved, you feel accepted. And it really just, it, that feeling feeds then the power of the guru. When they see that the, that they are capable of making people feel that way, yeah. And the thing is, is that they start to believe that they are a perfect being and that their behavior, as bad as it is on the outside, it's actually not bad to them or anybody on the inside of the circle. And so that means that they can accumulate millions of dollars and buy a billion cars if that's what they, you know, some of these cult leaders become very wealthy and, you know, exploit the earnings of the rest of the cult, uh, the FLDS uh, cult in, you know, in Utah, the uh, fundamental Latter-day Saints, they run a whole town essentially off the earnings of the workers while, you know, the leaders were siphoning that stuff up and, you know, going partying in Vegas and shit. So, you know, that's what you tend to see. It's a, like a microcosm of capitalism in general, but I'm not going to go off mm -hmm. on that tangent. But what ends up happening too is, you know, the disciples, the followers, you know, they, they kind of become part of that whole system. And, the sad thing is, is that the people who are in the group with the guru, they start to think that they're enlightened because of the guru, but they're not. They've actually been reduced to this infantile state. Like they are not mm -hmm. enlightened. They, they only feel the sense of oneness with the guru. And so that is an enlightenment that is becoming dependent like a baby is to a, a mother. It absolutely is. It, it's a deeply dependent relationship. And, and thinking about like my thing with the publisher, you know, even I was a little vulnerable. I was new to the country. I am from the United States, you know, originally. Uh, I was new to the country. I didn't really know anybody. And I've never been cool, you know. I've never been part mm -hmm. of any in-group. And so even though I was a mature adult, there was a part of me that was drawn in because of that little tiny part of me from childhood who was like, I've never fit in anywhere. And look at this. And uh, But yeah, th those other people, they draw in 
they are often the ones doing that dirty work and doing the shouldering out. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and they, they, yeah, yeah. And you saw, and you saw that in the deep end once again. Some people want the safety. They may not think they're elevated, but like Grassy or Gracie, I don't know how she pronounces it in the doc. Uh, I really got a vibe from her. Like she felt really vulnerable. And if she wasn't with Teal, she she could just be like somebody's prey or something. Right. Like like she's somebody who seems like she's just scared, you know, and yeah. she feels safe for whatever reason. The Deep End is a perfect name for that documentary, by the way, because what it illustrates is how you can start off in the shallows of Teal Swan's mm-hmm. group. If you are just out on Instagram and you happen to come across her posts, or if you're on her, find one of her YouTube videos and you start listening or, you know, reading some of this stuff, it, you know, it might appeal to you. And then there's stuff mm-hmm. about it. I don't really disagree with some of the stuff that she's saying because I'm on the, on the outskirts and that's what we, the, the general public are seeing. But if you start paying, if you start buying in, then you get to the next level, which then reveals even more crazy stuff. This is how Scientology gets people. If you're in a mall in, in LA yeah. and you're, you know, somebody saying, oh, you want to touch this little e-meter thing to get a read for your, you know, psychology reading or whatever. And they're like, sure. And then, you know, you do that. Well, that's beginning Scientology. And all of a sudden you're not psychology. How dare you? Oh God, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you would never. Sorry, sorry, it sorry. shows I, how much I know about Scientology. I know. I'm from the Tampa practice. Bay area. And Clearwater is actually their spiritual headquarters. I've uh, mm-hmm. I've actually been down there, uh, and we can talk about that in another episode. Sometime. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe we could do Scientology. Hey, let's talk a little more now about Teal Swan. Who the hell is she really? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like we've danced around a lot of this. We already said she's a spiritual leader, guru. She's on YouTube. She's on Instagram. She's role really popular online. She does tours, uh, giving talks, paid talks all over the world. Actually. Um, she holds these very uh, mega expensive retreats. Like she is not, you know, she, she has money. She's making money from this, but I wouldn't say from what I've gathered of my research, Teal is more interested in fame than wealth. And so if you want to go to one of her retreats, it'll cost you about three grand. I mean, that's, it's not, not bad the, for a retreat. It's not really. the most. I mean, I've I've seen writers' conferences cost roughly that much yeah. when you factor in room and board, food, travel. I was going to say, like, that. if she's feeding you, like, that's reasonable. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And you're and you know you're staying in Costa Rica. I think that's where she has a lot of these. So of you know, them. nice, pretty location. So it's not you're not spending like ten. This isn't five figures of enlightenment. But she uh, also has a podcast. Again, I mentioned 1.5 million subscribers on YouTube, and she tends to speak a lot on dealing with past trauma, mental illness, addiction, and suicide. And we're really going to touch on that part later, but she also hovers a lot on the whole self-love thing and fighting through all the kind of static inside and outside your mind to find sort of the innocent, perfect person living within and you reparent that innocent child, inner child, and sort of, you know, reclaim them. That's kind of what she's trying to guide people to do. But then of course, as Chris mentioned, she's an alien, um, Arcturian alien. And she thank has you ESP. for the specification. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah so, right. Now I want to dive a little more into her childhood because this is a big part of her selling point. She, you know, she talks about the abuse that she experienced. And I mentioned this in her really too long author bio (laughs) that she was abused by a family friend that she refers to as doc. I guess he was like a veterinarian or something. And then they were part of a satanic sex cult. And 
there was even a claim that over the years of her abuse, when she was like eight years old, she was sewn up inside a corpse. Yes. That's that's one of the things I said in my notes, even though they don't talk about that in the deep end. Although Gracie mentions the fact that she was supposedly put on a barbecue along with other children, which clearly didn't happen. But she got that memory from Teal. I was like, even like, think about how big a pregnant woman is. Like, even if you take out the organs, there's not room for a child in there that is an more than maybe a year and a yeah. half. Like, not an eight-year-old. It's like literally not possible. No. And I mean, I maybe she was abused. And I'm not saying I don't believe she was abused at all yeah um i i i have no way to know but there's no way those things happened and that's where the the person the psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever but oh, you're yes. gonna get to that <laughs> yes yes yeah. um because what is it she was um her parents were very concerned about her from a a pretty early age in fact and they got her into therapy but they got her into a therapist barbara snow and she needs some unpacking and chris now you you did some dive. You listened to another podcast. I'm really interested to hear what this, uh, what you gleaned from all that that talked about her sort of early beginnings. Yeah. So I have a couple things here, but I mean, it, what I want to talk about is a little separate from Barbara Snow. So I don't know if you okay. want to get into her first yeah. or you want to talk about this other stuff. Let's do Barbara Snow first, because yeah. I feel like she's a pillar, a, a strong pillar in what Teal does now in fact and so um barbara snow is a a therapist and she's a she is a licensed counselor i don't know if she's a psychologist i don't think she's a phd i should have i should have researched that i don't know for certain what i do know a mental health professional <laughs> okay that's it okay so she she has a history a known history of having been instrumental during the satanic panic of the 80s and early 90s, where many parents were under the belief that their neighborhoods, their kids were all becoming under the influence of satanic ritual and satanic sacrifice and all this stuff. And, and all three of us grew up in the 80s. We know a little bit about that. You know, we experienced a bit of that. Um, and what she would do is very similar to the, um, what was the, uh, was it the Mick, uh, I can't remember. It was a preschool back in the eighties that they had all the oh. children believing that they were being sexually abused. And there was a tunnel underneath the school and there were demons down there and they were being abused. Well, that ended up all being untrue because those memories were being inserted and suggested by the, the counselors. And that's kind of what Barbara Snow apparently did with Teal Swan um, or she's well here. I, let me back that up. We don't have any actual documented proof that, that this is what Snow did to Teal Swan. This is what Barbara Snow is known for having done to a lot of other patients. And Teal exhibits those same behaviors with her inner circle of followers. She does very similar suggestive sort of gaslighting and implanting and, and all that. We'll, we'll get to that later on as well. Good. I have stuff to say. He'll, continu <laughs> he'll continue to visit and receive counseling from Snow for many, many years. I mean, well into adulthood. She might even be still talking to her. Barbara Snow is still in practice, but she has had her license revoked like three times, but she's manages to get it back so by the way she's a licensed clinical social worker okay okay so she so. she is licensed to do therapy uh but it is separate from getting you know a uh, a medical or a psychology degree this is the social worker route versus okay. right, the right, psychology yeah. route but still um in theory you would have the proper training to be a counselor 
however, clearly she has abused that power. Very much so. Profoundly and, and disgustingly. You you will find a lot of stories about uh, Barbara Snow just Googling her. And suffice it to say that if this is your guru, if this is your counselor, and if you were, in fact, say, uh, like Beverly said, and like a lot of people are saying, it is... Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Teal did not experience any sort of abuse or trauma as a child. I, I do feel like there was probably at least some. And uh, do I believe she was sold into a sex cult and sewn into a corpse? Nah, no, nah, that's a, I need to see a little more receipts, however, in the deep end. And there's a few other places too, where she shows her old journals um, from when she was eight years old. And she, there's some pretty disturbing stuff in those journals. Do we think those are accurate or authentic? I, I, I mentioned that to they you the other day. Very for an eight-year-old, they looked very advanced. Like if you think about the artwork of an eight-year-old. Sorry. I, I was just, I was thinking the same. I was like, it looks like what you would make as a prop in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. The kid. yes. Like, like, like where it's like, it seemed affected potentially. I don't know if you remember uh, the movie Minority Report, if you saw that. It was many years ago that it came out in Tom Cruise. And so one of the characters was being framed for kidnapping a little boy. And his hotel room was just filled with, like the bed was just filled with pictures of, you know, children and, and all that. And the detective, he was like, uh, you know what we call this? We call this an orgy of evidence. This is bullshit. This is, it looks like it was set up. This is an orgy. I love the term orgy of evidence. And so um, that's what that did feel like. It felt like yeah. it was a constructed thing and there's her blood in it. Cause she cut herself and made her bleed onto it. It was like, I don't know. I was a moody, broody poetry writing, cure listening to like wannabe goth teenager. Same. Yes. <laughs> and I could put myself very much into the mind frame of an abandoned and sad and lonely person who just nobody understands. And I would write these very elaborate things. And and I think it, it kind of played into probably what drew me to writing fiction. Uh, later on, it was just that kind of like escapism. So I could see young Teal kind of like being in that mode. But when she goes and sees this psychologist, oh, I'm sorry, this social worker who um, counsels her, I could see the mythology building happening in her very young brain. And so I do believe there is a sense of suggestion uh, that probably happened in that, in this very imaginative brain of hers, because clearly she's, she has a very active imagination. She has a very active mind. She's a, she's a very intelligent person. And so Mm -hmm. I could see though that seed those seeds being planted and they grow into with constant reinforcement and feeding throughout her teenage years and as we said in the cults primer episode things like narcissism border borderline personality disorder things like that those things tend to solidify in young adulthood and so she was seeing barbara snow for therapy well into her like 1920 you know some years old and like i said probably still talking to her now so when you have that kind of influence in your life, and then you decide that you want to start helping other people through these same issues. I don't know, man, you can just see the trajectory kind of forming and it's like, Oh, okay. You know, if she, if if she had never seen Barbara Snow, I don't think she would be here in this form. I'm going to kind of push back and I, I might've agreed with you yesterday. Okay. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, 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 Chris, you're giving me something here. I'm, I'm no, I might have agreed. Sorry, I'm getting super antsy as you're talking because I'm like, 
I, okay. And, and I want to be very clear. I started, like, I think we all should believe someone who has claims of abuse. You start at believe someone who's been victimized. Right. And then you start to hear the level of her claims. And there's a great quote I heard, which is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yes. Yes. Of which there is zero. We talked about the stitching people up. We talked about, she said that she was hunted by Doc. Doc would send her out into the wild and he would hunt her like a game. She probably heard about the serial killer, Robert, uh, what's his face? He used to do that in the last, you know, that she was, oh, we're going to learn. She just borrows and repackages everything. Okay. So she was hunted by him. The, The claims go on. Like we could literally do an entire episode about every claim she's ever made. And I'm not being facetious. Wow. Wow. Because they're just everywhere. And and I want to talk about pathological liars because I am a thousand percent convinced she has every check mark of a pathological liar. So there's a couple of sources that I, I stumbled upon, which is very exciting. One is a podcast from Mormon Stories Podcast. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, because this does tie in because she blamed like the Mormonism, like cult. There was like a Big Mormonism time. offshoot cult. Okay, go ahead. Big time. And I was actually, I, one of the reasons I wanted to look is I was like, was Barbara Snow licensed through the LDL, like the Ooh. Latter-day Saints Church? I, I, I couldn't tell. I didn't look that far, but that was kind of curious. Like maybe she's going to the field because there's a bit of a religious influence. And, you know, anyway, I that's there. But they interview a woman named Diana Hansen Rivera. She was one of Teal's closest childhood and adolescent friends. Oh boy. Ooh, give me the tea. Give me the <laughs> I tea. know. It is a three and a half hour conversation. So I will scratch the surface, but I highly recommend you go listen to this if you want to hear about young Teal. The second source I have is from a website. You told me about Allison, which is the truth about Cameron. Oh, yes. <laughs> where I don't know. Did you see their interview with Doc? I don't think I did. I think I missed that part. Okay. Yeah. So they actually interview this guy, Doc. So I start with Diana and her experience. And then I fold in what Doc has to say. This is the alleged abuser. Mm-hmm. And what I have come to the conclusion of is sack full of shit, sack full of lies. I am now to the point where I am not convinced there is any abuse in her life. I have hung onto that for a long time because I'm like, look, she had to, unlike you guys, she had to have experienced something. But the more I kept hearing about her and her past, I was like, I think she is piggybacking off of a real thing. Mm -hmm. I know that she witnessed abuse or um, suicidal tendencies or ideations of people around her. And mm-hmm. I think she glommed onto that for attention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to say one thing as somebody who's grown up female with a female body, I don't think you can grow up without having been abused at least slightly because yeah. I definitely had dudes saying weird things to me. I had a neighbor who grabbed my little budding breasts when I was like nine, like, like, and, and these are things that I even think of almost as no big deal because it was just kind of like these things happen. So, yeah. you know, I, I could believe maybe something on that level for sure, but sure, you yeah, know, absolutely. but, but yeah, but so I, I just want to, I just want to say in fairness that she absolutely. may have gone through some shit, especially as a good looking young lady, which she, was and is yeah it's, oh yeah. and we'll definitely talk about that um, yeah <laughs> we're gonna I don't know when she was really young she had that little like butt cut I don't know about that it was like a little, like, skin- <laughs> <laughs> well when she was a teenager anyway here's the thing too and and this is what kind of makes me feel like okay I can finally let this out because I'm like you and every like I wanted to hold on to this idea too that 
okay, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a kernel of truth here, but I have grown up around and with some very manipulative, abusive, and uh, pretty terrible fucking people um, that I'm not Mm -hmm. in contact with anymore. But um, I had one who's one of the cruelest people I've ever known. And, you know, another who is a little more damaged, but is also very, um, has a lot of issues of her own. And a a cousin who was a pathological liar, who, uh, you know, has been known to make a lot of shit up and and manipulate people. And for no, no real apparent reason, we have a lot of, we do have some abuse in our family and that part of the family. Sure. But um, there is something going on. There's some wiring, again, loose in the heads of some of these people. And so I am definitely inclined to believe that she could have witnessed this and wanted that attention and built this shit up in her head and became this persona that she is. I don't think that that is out of the realm of belief whatsoever. And I bet that when she started saying like whatever weird memory, she probably got tons of attention and praise mm-hmm. and yep. she was going to feed on that. So of course she was going to keep going that way. Well, it, exactly. And I want to be really clear. Like the only reason I make that bold of a claim is because I heard directly from a childhood friend and a family friend yeah. doc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of them talk about her parents who she totally casts in a villain role. Her story now is they did not support her. They are the worst. She drags their name through the mud. And Diana was just, first off, she said, I never wanted this to be my story. This isn't why I want to be here talking to you. I really don't want to. But she has seen the damage Teal has done. And she said, I was basically her plaything, if you will. She didn't use that term. But basically, she played out all these tactics and techniques she's using now as a child on a friend who is like two years younger. Yeah, And so just broad strokes. So around the age of 11, she's giving Diana alcohol. Yeah. And she's showing her graphic porn. She's showing her videos of bestiality. Wow. Um, There's all this kind of stuff. Apparently her family was very concerned about her because she would act up in school. She was apparently so manipulative that their family stopped eating dinner together because she's a very manipulative of her mother. Oh, Um, wow. And so they sent her with Doc because she liked horses. Doc was a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was like, give her something constructive to do around something that she likes. And I guess he was probably a a personality who they thought maybe he could be whatever, a mentor or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he basically was like, I was the one person who wouldn't buy her bullshit. Yeah. That yeah. she was stringing this stuff together. And some of the things that she's gone on to do were like healing practices were things that he was kind of showing her as he's this veterinarian. They're going out on cause for these animals, you know, who need, you know, to be, you know, they're injured or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he's basically like, she would keep telling me all this stuff. She would bring her boyfriends around. The boyfriends would be like, can you talk to her about this? We're concerned about this. And she would try to manipulate the crap out of him uh, to the doc. And he was basically like, I, I just, I wouldn't do it. And so the people interviewing were like, did you have a falling out? Why is she like casting the, the blame mm-hmm. on you? And, you know, he maybe said it tangentially, but I think it's because she couldn't have control over him in any way. This is her control. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll just make you the villain who sold me into sex trafficking with your friend at the morgue. He's like, by the way, there was no morgue or crematory no, in our not town. In that town. Yep. Like it's just 
again, all of these things, extraordinary claims, but no extraordinary, not even, gosh, you don't even need extraordinary evidence. There's not even minimal evidence. No. Her friend Diana was like, I saw or heard nothing about, you know, her experience in abuse. Again, to your point, Beverly, there could be something, you know, yours too, Allison. Like maybe there was something that wasn't left no physical signs. Of course, right. the things that she said was happening would leave physical signs. And Diana is basically like nudity was not frowned upon in her family. So like she had seen Teal nude, like each other. She's like, at the time, it didn't seem weird, but, you know, whatever. Well, her family was hippies, so. They were yeah. very hippie, uh, kind of very free. And, you know, Diana grew up sort of within the Mormon church. And so she was, you know, had that more conservative uh, aspect. But she's like, Teal was older and I wanted to be cool. And Teal seemed like a cool person. That's why I tried alcohol, which was not a thing our family did. You know, Mormons, that's, that's forbidden. And so, right, you know, uh, so there was just a lot of this. And the more she kept talking and then they, again, they talked to doc and just the things that he said completely align. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing that's consistent is that he's basically like anything that she says is flat out a lie. And they both mentioned that she would say things and you see this in the documentary. I know you're both going to know exactly what this is. She'll say something. And then she'll just sit back and smirk to see yes. what reaction. Oh, 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 oh I have something on that. To see what reaction she gets out of it, where she's like, boom. And then she's got that little shit eating smirk on her face. I have a note on that particular thing, by the way. And I found this on Reddit uh, the, and a group that was discussing this. And there, this, there's something that's called a duping delight. Did you happen to hear that? Oh, that I love yes. that term. Yes, yes. It is a uh, particular uh, micro expression. A person will display that betrays a sense of enjoyment they are getting out of controlling and deceiving another person. And they showed multiple examples of this with her and also lined it up with psychopathic killers like Diane Downs, who attempted to murder her own children. So look up duping delight light that little grin that is a thing or the song dupers delight i say a dupe dup dupity dupe dupe and the dip dup dupity something stop <laughs> yeah dupers delight to know that one as well <laughs> but, no that's so funny i called it maniacal relish but it's the exact same thing it's like I love Duper's Delight. They, I actually learned about it at one point during one of my millions and millions of crime documentaries that I was mm -hmm. watching. Oh. And then now every time I watch an interview with somebody, like I'm watching, do they smirk? And you know what? A lot of them do. Yeah, a lot. Of do. It, and it, often it's a little micro, like, you know, like a little, like a twitch, but uh, yeah. it's it's actually surprising when you know what to look for it. And you can see it in a lot of uh, courtroom footage and a lot of trial footage of, of murderers on trial. If they're sitting there, they're kind of doing that little smirk and grin. It is very much a subconscious kind of action, but you're right. I saw that a lot. And actually that made me want to punch her in the face multiple times. That and her oh stupid my eyebrows. But again, we'll <laughs> oh get to that later. Oh my God. It, it was like, oh yeah. You just want to like, it was so disgusting. And basically seeing her in this documentary, I'm like, this is a person incapable of joy. I think most narcissists are. I can't think of a narcissist who actually is joyful. They might get right. a this maniacal relish, this duper's delight out of manipulating people, but there's no actual joy. She's a very joyless individual because she's very always much. under attack and everything is serious. And she calls her counsel together to talk about all of these things that you know are against her. But anyway, th these were the points where I started to feel like, I think this comes from a place of mental illness more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I think she has something at her core 
And I don't know where it came from. It could be abuse. I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not ruling that out. I'm just, mm-hmm. the more I kept seeing, the less evidence I saw that any such thing existed. And but well, she I, sure as hell wasn't sewn into a corpse. Well, 100%, right? Or yeah, ritualistically abused. Exactly. This person, this Diane person, was her, that was her name, her the childhood yes. friend. She's not Diana. the only one that has made this claim. I read it. I have an article, oh, sure. a very good article by another friend. I, I think her name is Tori, who uh, wrote a blog about this um, on a site called Celestial Healing. I'll be pulling a good bit from this as we go through both parts of this series. But she talked about how she would see the story change when it wouldn't line up. And they met more like in uh, Teal's kind of early 20s, sort of uh, or like 2011 or thereabouts. So maybe like mid 20s. And she would often say like, I know it's, it's not right to question the the victim, but there are there's things that just aren't lining up here. And so she would just see that if anybody questioned it at all, you would see the tracks change in her mind. And then a lot of times those people would be ostracized from the group that Teal would start to see them as an enemy. Uh, they She would find little reasons to start distrusting them. And you could see that in the deep end with um, Juliana. Yes, Juliana, Blake's yeah. mm-hmm. uh, girlfriend wife, slash wife, later wife. She'll bring you in. She'll love bomb the hell out of you. She'll make you feel important and powerful and, and everything. Again, classic cult technique here. And that's why, again, absolutely a cult. Her childhood, as you like to say, Allison, your, one of your favorite terms, a miasma of events. Yes. Like it is a, yes. a miasma of events. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because absolutely. none of it jives together. It is all completely disjointed. The timelines don't match up. The proof isn't there. This is pathological lying. It's mm-hmm. serving a different mm-hmm. purpose. And to the pathological liar, it doesn't all have to line up. They will squirm and find a way out. You can't corner them. Right. Absolutely. What is it? Don't wrestle with a pig because they love to get dirty, dirty and you'll never win. You know, whatever the thing is, like it's it's a better quote than that, but it's like she will flip that on you in a hot second. Mm-hmm. And now you're attacking her. What oh well, what's your core issue? Well, what's your problem? What I think you're really doing here is, you know, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. that that's what I said when I said first, before we even started recording, I think that the first thing in my notes was Darbo, which is uh, do you guys know what that is? I actually don't. Deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. That is used as a helpful guide for people to maybe find if they are in an abusive relationship. Um, as a very helpful um, acronym. But yeah. She mm-hmm. she darvos all the freaking time. Mm-hmm. Very much. And and my favorite, well, favorite's a, it's a wrong word to use, but the, the one of the key moments, because when I started watching The Deep End, I was, I will admit, I was initially like, kind of, I, I think I felt the way a lot of people, I wasn't initially repelled. I'll just say that. No, I was like, I was like, not at all. I was like, huh, she's interesting. And the mm-hmm. way she talks, like her voice, mm-hmm. I, I noticed her voice and, and the way that she had a quiet authority about her, like that she has knowledge. Like I was immediately attracted to that. I was like, oh, she seems capable and, and not like a dork or a douchebag like a lot of these cult leaders tend to sometimes be i mean, chris and i have talked about oh this God. quite a bit like the the charismatic cult leaders like define charisma because they're you know the rajneeshi cult the the, oh my the, God. the guy who from watch wild country on netflix if you haven't yet oh yeah that, oh i have yeah listen that, to that man speak for 20 seconds and tell me if you don't want to gouge your ears out like he's 
Oh my God. But her, like, she just seemed so controlled and so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like a unique experience until we get to where they're having a little gathering of this retreat. And this, mm-hmm. this guy, he just raises his hand and he's like, who, who are some of the people you follow that you admire and look up to? And she treated this question like it was so like somebody was asking her what color her underwear is. She was like, what? I don't follow anyone. I am. There's it is me. No one above me. She looked at him with a straight fucking face, like her jaw set and was mm-hmm. like daring him. But he kept asking questions. Yes. yes. He, he was kind of brave. He was brave. Yeah. And then what I loved about it, he's like, well, I'm just asking questions and what comes to mind, which is exactly what she teaches people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he was basically flipping her practice on her. And oh boy, that was the wrong thing to do. Well, and she, she contradicts herself a lot. Um, I, there is a Google or a Google, there's a Goodreads, um, page you could if you ever want to find quotes from like a book or whatever i typed teal swan quotes and and it took me to the goodreads page and there was one set it was like almost like two quotes apart from the same book if i'm not mistaken where she talked about how deep down inside we're all victims of victims which in some ways like i i believe that i really do uh, like the there's that funny phrase of uh hurt people hurt people where right. you know a lot of abuse comes from above it ro- shit rolls downhill which is another mm-hmm. one of my favorite sayings and and, you know, so yeah, I'm like, yeah, I jive with that. And then a couple of things down, she said something like, there's no such thing as victims. Like, it was just like, wait, what? <laughs> you were just literally saying we're victims, um, a victim. So what, what is it here? Are we victims or are we not? What, what exists and what doesn't teal? Like she just goes off on a whim and just says shit that I don't think she expects her followers to really absorb yeah. the micro. Mm-hmm. She's all about the macro. It's all about the full mm-hmm. fucking package. All right. So we've gotten, you know, over an hour into this discussion so far, and we've only really touched on Teal Swan's upbringing and her, uh, her overall like aura, right? There's um, so much to say is the problem. The spiritual guruism and all that. And is it, yeah. or isn't it a cult? We haven't really nailed that down. And Chris was saying, I was being too optimistic in the beginning of saying whether or not this is a cult. I think it's going to take a little more discussion and ferreting out because from the perception of people that like, let's say I, you know, I am no stranger to dealing with depression. I mean, I'm pretty open about that. And so if I myself am out looking for some guidance on that, and I happen to stumble across a Teal Swan video and I connect with that, that doesn't make me a cult member. So on the outer, on the outer edges, at what point do do you become a member of the cult? I happen to think, and you know, we can get into this more later that it's the inner circle. You know, you have to get further in the actual Mm -hmm. cult of Teal Swan is not 1.5 million YouTube subscribers. It's, it's about probably 30 or so people. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of, no, I, I actually completely agree with you. And I was going to say the same thing. And, but here's the thing. There's plenty of cults that do recruitment and the last shot of the documentary is actually really chilling because it's her on stage and she says something along the lines of how many people here think life is horrible and there's nothing they can do to make it better. I'm paraphrasing and almost the entire audience raises their hands and she fucking smiles. Mm -hmm. Yes. She is holding those people in the palm of her hand. And I think I even have a quote somewhere in my notes where she actually says that that she knows she's holding them in the palm of her hand and that she can, and that they are hanging on her every word. And there is a great sense of power, but we haven't even begun to discuss 
the levels of depravity and and hate and hatefulness. I'll just say it straight up hateful, selfish, terrible manipulation and gaslighting that she has perpetuated on her followers. And you can watch the deep end to get a nice big chunk of that, but you'll get she even more. There's mm-hmm. so, oh, oh, right in front. And, and again, it just, it's amazing because it's like, she gave them the access to behave this way. And these, again, very long takes in these scenes, there aren't a lot of cuts. I was watching specifically for that reason, Beverly, because I was like, you know, at some point I'm waiting to see that manipulation come in, that editing manipulation. I just, yeah. Chris, did, you see it? did you see much of that? I mean, maybe I No, it. And the thing is, even if there were creative edits, she still said all that shit. She did. She, she still did. literally told Blake, well, if you don't want to be here, you should kill yourself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you tell mm-hmm. me, and that, and let's be clear, that's not the only person she has said that to. Absolutely. She has said that to basically anybody she trusts that betrays her because they want to live their own life and not not sign her non-negotiables or whatever the case is, right? Like The non-negotiable. Actually, and that's yeah. what I was just going to say is that was one of those things is because when she's talking to Molly, the true hero of the deep end, oh. the private investor. Molly, if you're listening to this, can we be friends? Okay. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> um, she asks Teal because she's investigating because Teal thinks she's going to get this report. That's going to clear her of, you know, being an asshole or whatever it is she thinks. And she says, no, no, I don't try to prevent relationships. I don't know that. And then like, they're redoing the non-negotiables. And she's like, I want you to have relationships, but actually I really don't because it's really inconvenient for me. And also don't have children because it's inconvenient for me. Oh, this is the discussion, but mm-hmm. it's not a discussion. Not. It is a clever manipulation where, oh, we're all on board. We had a chat. We all spoke our mind and lo and behold, we agree with what I thought. And that's another check mark in the, in the cult list, by the way, this is a very common thing among a lot of different cults is they are hugely dissuaded from pregnancies and are often pushed to have abortions if pregnancies occur. And now there are some cults that want the children because they want to abuse the children and farm the children or whatever. Um, You know, again, FLDS. However, that is, you know, some of these other cults, they really do not want kids around. And and Teal herself has a child that she's really not raising. I think she was raising him for a bit. He's, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't have any I don't think she has any real contact with him or much contact with him anymore. I think it was more when he was younger. He's around, but I don't think she really raises him per se. So, you know, you said the S word early, Chris, suicide thing. I promised earlier in the show, we are definitely going to dig down deeper into that in part two. There are a lot of spiritual gurus and leaders out there who are manipulative and who are greedy and who are whatever, but they're not doing things much beyond that other than just kind of like siphoning up their money perhaps, but it goes deeper than that. And there is a reason why I really wanted to talk about this because this puts lives at risk. What she is doing is really endangering people. And frankly, illegal. It's frankly illegal. This is licensed work that she has no professional training or license to do. And yeah. she's basically providing therapy. And she's if providing she was counseling. just sticking to the spiritual uh, mumbo jumbo, the, and I'm, I'm going to call it that because it, it is quite frankly, um, <laughs> yeah. but... she'd literally be another Tony Robbins. She'd be another person out there. Like, this is my philosophy. And this is why I think you should believe it. It'd be she no different. Be like, than... She could be like Oprah for God's sake. You yeah. know, I mean, yes. you know, she could have her own little 
talk show and do a whole thing. And yeah, it's a way of life I'm selling. She could, yeah. she could you know, usher other, char- you know, charlatans into our, our fold, like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, but you know, yeah. she could even do that, but she's not, she doesn't want to do that. I think she wants the control and the pleasure that comes from manipulating and dominating people and into certain acts. So mm-hmm. maniacal um, and, relish. And so with that, we are going to be back next week to discuss the deepest of the deep end. So we hope that uh, you will be here for that. And if you have uh, any questions, comments you want to add, if you were a follower of Teal Swan, uh, whatever, you know, if you want to send me an email, go ahead. You can send one to ddarknesstime at gmail.com. And uh, you can also reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook, DD Darkness Time on Twitter. And I think that's about it, guys. Do you have anything else you want to add before we close this down and bring it back next week? I'm just ready to hit record again and start episode two. Yes. There's so much right. more to talk about. I know. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's wild to me how long we could talk about this and hardly feel like I've, we've scratched the surface. We, I yeah. feel like, honestly, we haven't. I, I'm like, there's so much more. I'm staring at my notes and I struggled so hard to put this all together. But this is honestly one of those things that I feel like we could probably just have a show that could go on for weeks and weeks sure. just about Teal's freaking Absolutely. Swan. I mean, there is like Teal Swan Exposed, I think is is one website. There are a lot of blogs dedicated to this. Was it Teal Swan Exposed that like every time she does something, they're like posting things like to- It's a fact. Um, it's like, it's almost like um, fact, fact checker kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's them. Yeah. It's, it's a all, receipts. It's basically receipts. Like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. No, she's mm-hmm. full of crap. So I'll have all that stuff in the show notes in addition to the other links and links to the other things we're talking about here, by the way. So check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you all next week. And uh, uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I hate saying goodbye. I think that's why I struggle so much. I hate I hate goodbye. Ding Dong Darkness Time has been brought to you and produced by yours truly, Allison Dixon. It was made possible by an array of amazing co-hosts, friends, family, but especially you, the listeners. Big shouts also go out to the brilliant Nathaniel Dixon for the show art and future legend Spencer Morlock for all the music. I'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, be good, you little ding-dongs. <laughs>